Hello and welcome into another episode of Locked on Wolves. Today on the show, will rookie Leonard Miller have a shot at cracking the rotation this year? How he might do that? Plus, previewing Nas Reed, what does growth from Nas look like this season after signing his big contract? And finally, does Jordan McLaughlin have a role on this year's Minnesota Timberwolves? We'll break it all down here on the show today. Welcome in. You are Locked on Wolves. You are Locked on Timberwolves. Your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first ticket purchase. Happy Monday, everybody. Hopefully you had a fantastic weekend. This is the start of the Timberwolves season. We'll just call it that. Obviously not the regular season, but preseason action kicks off Thursday. Media day was late last week. Training camp is well underway. There's plenty to get to. We're in the midst of our player preview series, and we're starting to get to actual rotation players. So I want to spend today talking about three guys who are kind of in that um, one of them certainly has a role in the rotation, but the other two are kind of right on that fringe. So we'll talk about all that here on the show today. First of all, a big thank you for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every single day. Of course, the show is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms, wherever you like to listen to podcasts, you can find Lockdown Wolves. You can also watch on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app on both Roku and Amazon Fire TV, along with all the other Minnesota podcasts. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Lockdown T-Wolves, and also at B-Beacon with two B's, two E's, C-K-E-N. All right, uh, let's start today. So so just kind of laying, mapping this whole thing out. I want to talk about, we talked about rookies on Friday and second-year guys late last week. Um, I guess more recently, second-year guys. But let's talk about the other rookie we haven't discussed, and that's Leonard Miller. So I want to start there. I want to spend the middle part of the show talking about Nas Reed, and we'll close with Jordan McLaughlin. Um, so regarding Leonard Miller, he, of course, the Timberwolves traded up in the second round to acquire him this year, and he had a big year with the G League Ignite last season, and he's really, um, he had a really impressive summer league showing, right? The Timberwolves see him as probably more of a center. Um, he's got more of a traditional power forward body. He's six foot ten with a 7'2 wingspan, uh, but he's also, there's a lot of similarities in my mind between him and and what Jared Vanderbilt was, especially at that age, uh, Vando, when he was coming into the draft, was six foot nine, seven one wingspan, so an inch shorter, an inch shorter, an inch shorter, and then his wingspan was also an inch shorter. I actually think there's a lot of similarities. I drew these parallels uh, a little bit earlier this summer. I think I did a show in maybe August, or it might have been July, where I spent some time comparing the two. So I'll give kind of the Cliff Notes version of that here today. But I think first, let's establish that I guess, like what he's good at, and then let's get into. Um, you know, his strengths and weaknesses as what we think he'll be as an NBA player based on his prospect profile, what we saw in summer league, et cetera. And then could he have a shot at cracking the rotation? What needs to happen for Leonard Miller to find minutes in Chris Finch's rotation this year? First of all, the size is impressive. 6'10", 7'2", wingspan, a slightly bigger version of Jared Vanderbilt in that regard. Similarly to Vando, he's fluid with the ball in his hands. Um, Vanderbilt didn't get a ton of opportunities to showcase his passing. Um, I would say Leonard Miller is a, has a better handle. He's more comfortable putting the ball on the floor. He'll actually, he can actually operate in pick and roll. It's not really something you wanted Vando doing. While he had good touch on his passing, he didn't have an outstanding handle. And it, it was a little bit interesting, given how bad his hands were, Vanderbilt I'm talking about now, that he was such a good passer. Um, they're not identical skill sets, right? But a lot of times guys who can 
who could pass really well, also have great hands in general on both ends of the floor. And Vando, in a sense, kind of has stone hands. Um, for as much as I love Jared Vanderbilt and as good of as a player as he is, his biggest issue isn't necessarily shooting because you're not asking Vando to, to shoot from the perimeter a whole lot, even though he made a bunch of corner threes last year in Utah and L.A., but you were asking him to be able to catch around the rim and finish around the rim, you know, roll to the basket, dive to the rim, play in the dunker spot, all those things. And Vando was never super consistent because of his hands. Miller has good hands. Um, he is comfortable with the ball in his hands. So, at, at, you know, if he's he could even initiate a little offense, almost like a point forward. He's very comfortable both handling the ball, passing the ball in the open floor, getting to the basket. We saw a bunch of this in summer league and go back and watch last year in G League. We saw a lot of Leonard Miller getting to the basket. Um, those things to me are similar, but better than Jared Vanderbilt. He's also really comfortable playing off the ball as a cutter, um, hanging out in the dunker spot. So you're going to see that not much if he's on the floor with Rudy. And I don't think he'll share the floor a whole lot with Rudy Gobert this year. Anyway, if he does, things have probably gone pretty wrong, um, on an injury front, frankly, if, if Leonard Miller is sharing the floor with Rudy Gobert, but if Miller ends up on the floor as as the five, because you're talking, you know, maybe there's foul trouble, maybe somebody's sick or hurt or whatever, and he gets a little bit of run, and and I think we'll talk about this later. I think he's got an inside track on Luca Garza for getting actual rotation minutes this year. But if that's the case, Miller's comfortable playing in the dunker spot. He's comfortable if he's on the floor as the four with either say Nas, Cat, or Rudy. Um, he's comfortable cutting from the perimeter. He's obviously has more range on his shot than say Jared Vanderbilt. He can shoot threes. You don't necessarily want him shooting threes, especially not above the break, but because he has the ability to do that, that makes him even more effective as a floor spacer and gives him more space to be a cutter. Uh, so offensively, I think he's very well-rounded. Um, defensively, I would say he's inconsistent. He's got all the tools. He's got the size. I think he's athletic enough with lateral enough lateral quickness to be really good defensively. Um, I would say rebounding is, is his number one strength on the defensive side uh, defensive side of the floor. He's got the size. He's got activity on the defensive glass. You look at his numbers last year in the G League, his rate-based stats. He's really good at ripping down boards and just getting down the floor. And I'll tell you what, Chris Finch loves that. Chris Finch wants that out of his bigs. He wants guys that can rip the ball down, push it ahead to a guard, or take themselves, sprint dribble up the floor and create something. Maybe it's grab the rebound, get to a guard, and rim run. Um, Leonard Miller can do that. He's dynamic enough with the ball in his hands that he can lead the break himself. He's also athletic enough. He can rip down a board, get it to the guard, and get down the floor for a lob. You know, um, Hopefully not spotting up for three. Hopefully he's getting to the basket. But all of those things are really intriguing about Leonard Miller. On the ball, I think sometimes he can be a little bit, I would say, inconsistent defensively. Um, he can get sucked in and then sloppy on his closeouts, letting guys pump fake and get past him. He has lapses off the ball, a la Anthony Edwards in some in some regards. Uh, so I think the consistency defensively isn't to where, say, again, I keep using this comp because I think it's it's not a perfect comp, but it's similar enough, and I think it's it should resonate with Timberwolves fans. He's not as good defensively as Jared Vanderbilt today as Vando was probably early in his career. I don't know that he's as strong as Vando, um, and I would actually say pound for pound, Van, Vando's probably a better rebounder overall, but we're talking about the context of the 2023 Timberwolves who were bottom five in the league and rebounding on both ends of the floor last season and have been consistently on the defensive end of the floor going back many years. And I think Leonard Miller can help shore that up, even if he's not quite the same as good of a rebounder as Vando. So if he can continue to improve 
his awareness and consistency on the defensive end of the floor, I think there's a role for him potentially as a rotation guy. Now, complicating things, of course, the Nas Reed extension. We'll get to Nas next. Nas is obviously a rotation player on this team, right? Like you look at your top 10, it's it's set in stone, right? You've got Conley, Edwards, McDaniels, Cat, and Rudy in the starting lineup. In some order, your bench is Shake Milton, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Kyle Anderson, Nas Reed, and probably Troy Brown Jr. are your top 10 guys. There's this kind of so-called, what I'm calling the battle for the 11th spot in the rotation. Now, will the rotation technically have 11 guys? No, but especially early in the season, you'll probably see 11 guys play with some consistency. Right, right? like early last year, it was kind of this rotating cast of, actually Nas was on the fringes of the rotation. He had some DNP CDs early last year, but you're looking at like Austin Reed, uh, Austin Reeves, watched a lot of Team USA basketball recently. Austin Rivers, um, uh, Bryn Forbes, guys like that at the fringe of the rotation last year. This year, I think the fringes of the rotation are probably mostly Jordan McLaughlin and Josh Minot, but you also might have some Leonard Miller in there too. I don't think Luca Garza, I think he's like the 12th guy. I actually think this is going to be dependent on matchups and, and how the team's playing, et cetera. Like if you need somebody who's just going to be a bruiser, you're going to call him Luca Garza. But more likely than not, Leonard Miller is replicating more of what the Wolves want out of their bigs. Uh, he's he's obviously not as offensively skilled at this point as either Cat or Nas, but he replicates some of those things. He's more active defensively. He's good on the glass. I think that Miller has the inside track on being that we'll call it the fourth big, depending on how you feel about Josh Minot and and all. You know, there's a lot of similarities actually between Minot and Miller in terms of what their role could be. It's going to depend on matchups. It's going to depend on um, is Minot more consistent defensively? Do you need somebody who can guard the point of attack or can guard these wings, bigger wings like a Josh Minot? Or do you need somebody that's switchable, um, you know, three through five that has a little bit more rebounding prowess, probably at the NBA level in Leonard Miller? I think Minot's going to get minutes before Miller, but you never know. Uh, I think there's a path for him to crack the rotation at some point in the regular season if the Wolves are consistently playing an 11th guy for any amount of time, because the energy and the defensive rebounding ability is going to be big for Leonard Miller. Now, to be clear, he's not in the rotation from day one. They'll ease him into things. I'm sure he'll play in the G League, although he spent all last year playing in the G League. But Leonard Miller, to me, is not far off from being NBA ready to, to try and crack a rotation. If Nas Reed hadn't resigned, like that's probably his role, right? And we'll talk about Nas's role here next, because I think... I'm curious to see how Chris Finch handles this with Nas Reed, but Leonard Miller is the next man up in the, in the, in the, in the front court. It's cat, it's Rudy, it's Nas. And then some combination of Josh Mina and Leonard Miller at the four or five uh, for, you know, and obviously Kyle Anderson, Jade McDaniels primarily playing those minutes at the four this year, but um, you're going to see, well, I guess Kyle Anderson will be playing more at the three, right? Because you have, um, you have Nas that's going to play some minutes at the four. So it's it, there's a lot of guys that Chris Finch is going to be looking for minutes for. And early on, Leonard Miller will not be getting those minutes. But as the year wears on, I think he's got a shot to be on the floor a little bit for the Timberwolves this year. And I like him as a depth piece, even now as a rookie. All right, next, let's talk about Nas Reed, who I think has a, a, a really... It's going to be fascinating to see what role he carves out. I thought he grew quite a bit last year as a player. So I want to talk about what I think he improved on the most and what his role might be this season. So we'll do all that here next. Today's episode of Lockdown Wolves is brought to us by our friends over at Game Time. If you're not familiar with Game Time, it is the place to go find tickets. Uh, I mean, if you're like me, you've definitely 
at some point tried to go to an event, realized you waited to the last minute to get tickets, a sporting event, comedy, concert happens to me all the time. Baseball playoffs coming up, um, NFL season, college football. If you're looking for tickets and you waited to the last minute, well, you shouldn't have to worry if you're buying your tickets to your next big event, even if it is last minute. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you with killer last minute deals, all in prices, views from your seat and their best price guarantee. Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Game time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. They're also obsessed with finding ways to help you save money on tickets. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event and even up to an hour after it starts. It's the place to find those last minute seats, find exclusive flash deals and sponsor deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more with zone deals. You pick the section and game time picks the seats for an average of 18% savings. And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section in a row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account, redeem the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-B-A. There's two N's in there for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, a big thank you, first of all, for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day. Of course, every day as we're back on Tuesday, this is a five-day-a-week situation now. We are daily Monday through Friday. And of course, with the um, upcoming preseason game on Thursday, we'll preview that a little bit. Of course, previewing preseason is always a bit silly, but we'll do our best to preview the matchup with the Mavericks in Abu Dhabi on Thursday. And then, of course, Friday will be the first post-game podcast of the 23-24 season. I'll be at preseason, but we'll do that Friday. It's a big week. Player previews will last us into the first part of next week, and then we're into the meat of the preseason and only a couple weeks out at that point from actual, real, regular season NBA Timberwolves basketball. So, a uh, lot to get to here in the coming days. Make sure you're following and subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, let's talk Nas Reed. Now, Nas Reed last season was obviously a huge part of the Timberwolves still managing to make the playoffs with Carl Anthony Towns missing 53 games over the course of the season, including 52 consecutively. The curious thing for me, and if you go back and listen to podcasts I did in May and June, I did some shows where I was worried about the Wolves overpaying Nas Reed. And part of the premise for my concern is that last year, even with no Carl Anthony Towns, Nas Reed still had a relatively limited role on the Timberwolves. So by limited, uh, you know, obviously he was a rotation guy. Once we got past the, actually after Cat got hurt right around Thanksgiving, he was a regular rotation guy. But he still finished just seventh on the team in minutes. Part of that was, of course, because he broke the wrist uh, towards the end of the season. But you look at average, uh, uh, his minutes per game average, Nas Reed was still just 11th on the team in minutes per game. I mean, he was behind the likes of Torian Prince, Austin Rivers, Jalen Noel in minutes per game. Dragged down a little by, you know, the first 10 games of the season or so, 12, I don't know, more like 20, where he was a fringe rotation guy. But even after the cat injury, his role was still basically to be the backup center because you didn't have Carl Anthony Towns, right? So Nas wasn't playing a ton at the four. He was pretty much backing up Rudy Gobert. Well, now Carl Anthony Towns is back. Rudy Gobert is still your starting center. And the thought all along, ever since the Rudy trade, you know, a year and a couple months ago, the thought all along was, yeah, well, Cat and Rudy start together in, in the front court. And, um, you know, when, when Rudy sits, Cat moves to the five. When Cat needs a break, Rudy comes back in. So you're staggering them. So most of the time, one of them's on the floor. And Cat plays a lot of minutes at the four, maybe three quarters of his minutes at the four and a quarter of his minutes at the five. Well, what does that leave for Nas Reed? And if the Wolves weren't playing him alongside Rudy last year at the four very often, are they going to do it this year? 
Or are they going to play him with Carl Anthony Towns? We've seen, going back to Ryan Saunders, coaches be very hesitant to play Nas and Cat together. And I didn't pull all those numbers, but I can tell you that generally speaking, Nas and Cat together has not been very profitable. Again, very small sample, but we've seen it, at least small samples over the course now of, I think, four seasons. We've seen some version of Nas and Cat together on the floor, and it hasn't been generally, it hasn't generally been all that successful. So part of my concern with signing Nas Reed is what does the role look like this season? And I still don't know the answer to that. I'm very curious to see how Chris Finch manages it. Clearly, there's a lot of, um, of um, what's the word I'm looking for? I, protection, I guess, in terms of like, hey, Cat's really foul prone. Actually, so is Nas. So now you've got three bigs that are all really good. Cat and Rudy are also caliber players. Nas is, is a step behind that, but still very productive. So you can have two or three of them on the floor at almost all times if you really want to, and that's great, but that still means you're talking 20 or less minutes per game at best for Nas Reed, and you're paying him a lot of money. So I think we should bear that in mind. Like He's obviously in the top 10 in the rotation. He's your primary backup big. It's going to bump Kyle Anderson to minutes at the three versus minutes at the four, which that's a conversation for the Kyle Anderson preview we'll get to here in a couple of days. That's generally not a positive thing for Kyle Anderson either. So to me... I was okay with the Nas extension simply because I thought it was pretty good value and he's always tradable, you know, in a year or whatever. Like it's a three-year deal with an option on the last year. You can trade him next summer if you want to. And I like Nas Reed and I I think he's fun to watch, but I worry about what this does, bumping Kyle Anderson's minutes to the three, uh, potentially cutting into, I mean, like you can give Kat and Rudy more minutes to rest early in the season, I guess. I just don't know what this is going to look like. And the Wolves struggled enough offensively last year without Cat and then reintegrated him late in the regular season. How is Chris Finch going to manage that? And I think that's a legitimate question. In terms of what Nas provided last year, I, th- I thought it was clearly the best year of Nas Reed's, career, Nas, Nas Reed's career. I don't think there's any question about that. My biggest knock on Nas Reed, and, and I'll, I'll own up to this, over his first three seasons, I thought he was vastly overrated by Timberwolves fans. And, and I'm building a bit of a straw man here. But in general, the sentiment for Nas Reed on social has been overwhelmingly positive. I thought, um, going back to a couple years ago when Cat was injured quite a bit, and then last or two years ago, 21-22, when he was, uh, Nas played actually almost as, minute, almost as many minutes as he did just last season um, off the bench behind Cat, pre-Rudy, the biggest issue was rebounding. Nas Reed was not a consistent enough rebounder. He had a defensive rebound rate two years ago of just 18%. And there were several Timberwolves uh, that were that were not centers that were much better than that on the glass into the 21-22 season. Last year, that number improved drastically. Almost five percentage points in, to- in defensive rebound rate and almost two percentage points in total rebound rate improved, which was huge. Like It doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot. It really matters, especially for a team that struggled on the glass. Nas and Anthony Edwards were basically the only two guys that rebounded beyond what they had done the previous year. The rest of the team, the blanket statement, but pretty much the rest of the team to a man was worse than they should have been on the glass. Nas was not part of that problem. I also thought he was better with the ball in his hands. He saw his assist rate go up and his turnover rate go down. Decision-making was good. He shot a lot more threes, which in general is a good thing, but he's always kind of hovered right around just a tick below league average in terms of three-point percentage. He was a shade under 35% last year for his career. He's 34.4% from three. So yeah, for a big, it looks, you know, the shot's feathery when it goes through. Nice high arc on it. Interesting set shot. I chuckle every time there's national announcers that have never watched Nas Reed that are just like flabbergasted by his shot and think it's like, and don't know that he shoots a bunch of threes. Anyway, um, 
I thought he shot a few too many threes last year. And and the eye test, like looking back on the season, I thought to myself, man, he really drove to the basket a lot more last year. These face-up chances, like what Cat did when he was healthy, where you're playing five out and you just take a, a, a less athletic big or a smaller big to the basket. And part of that is because his last play of the season last year is when he broke his wrist trying to dunk on, I forget who it was, but he tried to dunk on somebody and broke his wrist. That's what I had in my head that Nas did last year, but he actually shot the ball at the rim less shot more threes in terms of rate and also shot far less free throws or his free throw. It was far lower, I should say. So I think that needs to adjust itself a little. Like I'd like to see more attempts at the basket, more pump fakes and drives, you know, setting up open threes with the threat to drive because most bigs that are going to guard Nas, he can take them on the dribble and take them off the dribble and dominate them at the rim. So I want to see a little more of that, but everything else about Nas's game last year was improved. I should also point out defense was his other kind of blind spot where he was his rookie season. He was awful defensively. He wasn't much better his second year, but there's been real improvement all four seasons. And last year he wasn't a minus defensively. I thought he was just good. Like I thought I don't, good is maybe a little strong. He, I thought he was above average defensively for the wolves, like certainly better than I expected. Um, he's be, obviously become more nimble. He's lost a ton of weight. He's in better shape than he was when he first came to league. There's no question about that. I think the number is something like 40 pounds is what had been thrown around last year. That's part of it. I also just think he understands NBA defensive concepts much better. Going back to when he was filling in for an injured cat in like 2019, 2020 into 2021, he looked lost defensively, uh, wasn't always playing the right coverage. Like there were some of those things that he just didn't seem to fully grasp, but now he does. He's been in the league four years. He's obviously a sharp guy and he's figured it out. And, and, and as long as he provides that consistent effort defensively, and I think he usually does, He's not a minus defensively. So if you're talking about a guy that call it a wash defensively and a plus offensive player, he's a valuable player. My question goes back to resources and what does his role look like with this Timberwolves team this year? Um, I don't know the answer to that. I think he is probably going to have to play a lot of minutes at the four. He's going to have to play some minutes with Carl Anthony Towns. I just don't know what that is. It going to be, you know, is it going to be Cat getting the first rest and Renaz comes in at the four next to Rudy because he barely played next to Rudy last year and Cat wasn't in the mix? Is it going to be Rudy getting a break? Nas comes in and plays with Cat and one of them is the four, one of them's the five. I think the answer to that is probably yes. And then maybe Cat leaves and Nas is the five and they play smaller for a, you know a couple of minutes as both Cat and and Rudy get a break. I really don't know, and I don't think Chris Finch knows right now either. Um, and we'll have to see how this thing plays out and who Nas is more comfortable being paired up with. Uh, between Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns, it's going to be really interesting to watch. And and this is the whole the whole experiment, uh, costly experiment of of the multiple bigs thing, multiple centers thing. It's it's going to in part hinge on this, which is so crazy because Rudy and Cat are the max guys, whereas Nas Reed is 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 the guy who just signed the most recent extension. But in a sense, it was the Wolves. Yes, it was asset management because Nas is is valuable. He's still a valuable trade asset on this new contract. Um, and so you could just let him walk for nothing at that point. I, I don't think that would have also been probably bad, um, very likely bad. But now it's like, hey, we're also doubling down in a sense that we think this will work. We we are doubling down. We're spending millions, tens of millions more on another center. And you've got all this money tied up in three centers. Um, I'm less of a skeptic on this than a lot of people are. But there's still some questions that absolutely need to be answered, and one of them is the minutes distribution and who plays best with whom on both ends of the floor. So good luck, Chris Finch. I'm excited to see how it all shakes out. All right, let's close the show by talking Jordan McLaughlin, who's one of those players who's been in and out of the graces of, of the good graces of Timberwolves fans a ton over the past 
I don't know, call it year and a half. Uh, we'll get to the Jordan McLaughlin preview here next. All right, previewing Jordan McLaughlin. Now, take go back with me. Call it 18 months, roughly, and a little maybe 16 months, something like that. When the Timberwolves lost to the Memphis Grizzlies in the first round of the 2022 playoffs, D'Angelo Russell was benched in favor of Jordan McLaughlin at one point late in that series. And Chris Finch always has seemed to have something of a fondness for Jordan McLaughlin, which is, you know, a lot of times head coaches and point guards have this bond, right? And McLaughlin is, is a, he's the type of player that like, I'm sure Flip Saunders would have loved Jordan McLaughlin. That's that, that sticks in my head, right? Flip was always seemed like partial to point guards. Obviously Flip was a point guard himself. Um, Like there was this, they had this relationship, right? And Finch seems to really trust Jordan McLaughlin to run his offense. He seems to trust Jordan McLaughlin to be scrappy on defense, to, 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 to really make his presence felt in a positive way. Last season, he opened the year as the obvious backup point guard. And for, call it three to four weeks even, a relatively decent sample size, um, he certainly looked like one of the best point guards, best backup point guards, that's an important word, backup point guards in the NBA. I, like, that's not an exaggeration. He was, I think, leading the league in assisted turnover ratio. Go back a little further to, to um, early 2022, before, like, January, February. Remember that assisted turnover streak where he had, like, what, 55 assists to one turnover or something? McLaughlin did. Early last season, it was the same sort of thing. Like, the turnover rate was minuscule. The assist rate was astronomical. It was like Tyus Jones light, except at times it didn't even feel like light. It was like watching Tyus, uh, uh, somehow even possibly smaller version of Tyus Jones, similarly sized, I guess, Tyus Jones. And it was remarkable. And then McLaughlin hurts his calf. He he's, tries to come back, re-injures it, comes back uh, on a more regular basis in, what, February, March, and was awful. Like, there's no other way to put it for as awesome as he was in November. And I don't want to undersell that. October, November last year, he was downright awful when he came back late in the season last year. And I love Jordan McLaughlin. I don't say that to, to pick on him. He was not good. And that got him right out of the rotation. They tried to go back to him a couple times when they needed him, I think even in the playoffs briefly. It just never worked. It was a really miserable last three months of the season for Jordan McLaughlin. I actually thought there was a chance he wouldn't be back this year. Uh, but of course, in terms of guys you can get on a minimum deal, like the, the the good version of McLaughlin is still better than most of those other guys. And so you're not talking about any additional money, right? You're not really saving money by letting him go. So let's see if we can't get the good version of McLaughlin back with the fully healed calf, et cetera. Um, quickly on what he did last year, his three-point percentage has gotten worse every year in the league. It's it's really crazy. His three-point rate last year was the highest it's ever been. In fact, more than 53% of his shot attempts were three-pointers. He shot just 30.8% from outside the arc. His rookie year, he was over 38%. And we're not talking about like a huge chasm in terms of attempts either. He shot 76 threes as a rookie, 78 last year. And so we're talking anywhere between 76 and 92 threes a year. So a similar number of threes, the volume is similar. The percentage went from 38 plus percent to 36% to 32% to 31% last year. It continues to get worse. Obviously that can't keep happening, right? Jordan McLaughlin has to shoot threes better this season. Now, a lot of the attempts he gets are above the break. Um, and it just doesn't, it's never felt comfortable for him to shoot threes from above the break. He's better in the corners. Um, obviously as most guys are, but above the break, he just doesn't seem comfortable and he gets so many attempts from out there. He doesn't get to the rim all that often. He doesn't draw fouls when he does. Um, 
his calling card is having a good assist to turnover ratio, a really good assist to turnover ratio, and being pesky on defense, fighting through screens, using his diminutive size to his advantage as much as possible by sneaking through and around screens and through traffic on defense. But last year, by far his worst turnover rate of his career, nearly 18% turnover rate to only 27% assist rate. It was the second lowest assist rate of his career and the worst turnover rate of his career. And couple that with struggles defensively, losing guys, decision-making not being good on the offensive end of the floor. It was just a really, really poor close to the season, last few months of the season for Jordan McLaughlin. And this year, there's no chance he's in the rotation on, on opening night. I mean, he is quite possibly the 13th or 14th guy on this roster right now, ahead of maybe only, maybe Wendell Moore Jr., maybe you know, uh, Leonard Miller, the two-way guys, obviously, he's probably had a Luca Garza, but like, who knows, right? I mean, your point guard options are, well, there isn't any other pure point guard on the roster besides Mike Conley. The Wolves have basically said, hey, we think Shake Milton's a point guard. Okay, fine. So you have Conley, you have Milton, you have Anthony Edwards is going to initiate offense. You have Nikhil Alexander-Walker to initiate offense. Kyle Anderson's probably going to run point forward before you throw McLaughlin out there. Wendell Moore Jr., I don't think he's ahead of McLaughlin, but like he's got a shot. He's got upside. McLaughlin doesn't really. So all that to say, Jordan McLaughlin's going to have to absolutely fight for any chance he's got at breaking into the rotation this year. If the Wolves need to waive somebody at any point for whatever reason, now they've still got one open roster spot as it is, so it's not like they're in a crunch, but McLaughlin might be the guy, right? Like you're not going to cut Wendell Moore Jr., right? You're not going to cut this year's draft pick, Leonard Miller, uh, everybody else is a draft pick or a recent signing. Like McLaughlin's the only one who would have a semi-shaky grip on a roster spot if the Wolves were to say make a two-for-one trade, uh, and they're taking back two. Well, I guess in that case they still have an open roster spot. So you know if they sign somebody and later make a trade, or if they somebody comes available gets bought out, and you know whatever. There's somebody that just got bought out the other day. I'm blanking on who it was, but it was a name that I was like, oh okay. He's the type. Was it Bullet? Was it Reggie Bullock? Um, you know, there's there's guys like that's the Wolves aren't doing that because they don't need a rotation guy. But all that to say, McLaughlin's roster spot is the only one that would seem somewhat tenuous, and what he does can be duplicated and replicated by a few other guys on the team who all have better size and better offensive upside. So I like Jordan McLaughlin. The good version of him is still very, very, very good and could be one of the better backup point guards in the league. But the Wolves don't have the luxury of just saying, ah, well, we'll see if he figured if he figures out the uh, 2022 magic of Jordan McLaughlin. We'll just, I mean, really the calendar year, right? The calendar year of 2022, save for the injury towards the end of the calendar year, was really good for Jordan McLaughlin. 2023 has been really bad. And what's the real version? Is it somewhere in the middle? My take is that it is somewhere in the middle. And he just, if he gets overextended, it gets ex- he gets exposed. There's a reason he was undrafted and had to play a full year in the G League before he got a chance at the NBA level. He's small. He has some offensive limitations. Because of his size, he has defensive limitations. But he's also a smart player, a good passer, and you know, uh, uh, plays hard, right? So he's a fringe NBA player, but when he plays well, he can be a solid backup point guard. I, I just I don't think we bank on him getting rotation minutes unless there's an injury to Conley or Milton, which hopefully doesn't happen, of course. Uh, but that's kind of his only path to seeing regular minutes this season. Um, here's hoping that at some point, whether it's with the Wolves or you know, year after next somewhere else he's able to find his way back into a regular rotation spot at the NBA level. But I really like Jordan McLaughlin, and uh, I'm glad he's back on the team this year. He's also should be a bit of a security blanket in that third point guard role um, this year as well. All right, that does it for today's player previews. We'll get to a few more on Tuesday. My thought is 
Uh, we'll probably do some of those other guys I just mentioned. A couple of the newcomers, um, including Shake Milton, Troy Brown Jr., and then also a, a, a trade deadline acquisition and a, a re-signing from the offseason in Nikhil Alexander-Walker. So um, we'll talk about those wing minutes, how I think they'll be distributed ultimately on the show Tuesday, and then we'll get you ready for preseason action on Thursday uh, with the Dallas Mavericks and Minnesota Timberwolves from Abu Dhabi. All right. A big thank you for making Lockdown Wolves your first listen every day. Of course, this show is free and available everywhere, including YouTube, as well as all of your favorite audio platforms. Wherever you like to listen to podcasts, you can find Lockdown Wolves. You can also watch on the Lockdown Sports Minnesota app on both Roku and Amazon at Fire TV. And you can follow on Twitter at Lockdown T Wolves and also at B Beacon with two B's, two E's, C K E N. Of course, the Lockdown Wolves podcast is part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your local experts on the biggest stories. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Locked On Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.